we don't just take products to market quickly. We definitely work with our customer. We survey them and ask them questions and look at feedback. And then we also look at really what's happening in the market. Are there products that we can make in a better way? Are there problems we should be solving with our brand? It's kind of this collaborative process with the team to look in this 360 view and say like, what's really happening? And should Maud even be making it? Let's be real. Talking about sex makes people a little uncomfortable. I think even I blushed a couple times throughout this interview, but it really shouldn't make us feel that way. And that's one of the driving principles behind Maud, a modern sexual wellness brand that's disrupting a taboo industry. And they're making sexual health more of a part of the overall health and wellness conversation. So on this episode of Up Next in Commerce, I chatted with the founder of Maud, Eva Goikachea, about how she built her company with a combination of excellent content, a growing and vibrant community, and a go-to-market strategy with patience and empathy top of mind. Eva also gave us some insights into the lessons she's learned from bringing Maud into the retail market. Things like where your product's going to get placed, and do you have control over that? And what about minimum order quantity? Can you go in demanding that of a retailer? Finally, she dives into how to assess customer acquisition funnels and how to really gauge whether your community is engaged or not. Enjoy this episode and no blushing. Before we dive into this episode, I was hoping you could please subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. It helps spread the word about the show and I would really love it. So please let me know how I'm doing and give me a rating, give me a review, let us know. All right, enjoy the episode. Really quick, I want to say thank you, thank you to our awesome sponsor, Salesforce Commerce Cloud. And I'm going to allow them to give you the inside scoop into some of the findings from their most recent State of Commerce report. Hi, this is John from Salesforce. Did you know that companies of all sizes and industries power their digital customer journeys with Commerce Cloud? Salesforce Commerce Cloud delivers B2B and B2C commerce, as well as order management around the globe. And with Commerce Cloud, you can engage with your customers anywhere and personalize interactions everywhere. Scale and innovate with ease and drive some serious growth for your business. And speaking of innovation, we recently surveyed nearly 1,400 commerce leaders and analyzed the consumer shopping and business buying behavior of more than 1 billion customers worldwide. And we uncovered emerging trends that will influence how companies can be successful and stay ahead in this ever-evolving landscape. To check out the trends we discovered, go to sfdc.co slash commerceinsights. That's sfdc.co slash commerceinsights, one word. everyone, and welcome back to Up Next in Commerce. This is your host, Stephanie Postles, CEO at Mission.org. Today on the show, we have Eva Goikachea, the CEO and founder of Maud. Hey, it's nice to be here. Now, excited to have you on. I feel like this is going to be a very intimate, fun conversation. <laughs> the first of its kind, no puns intended. <laughs> but I, I would love to, before we dive into Maud and what it is, I want, I always like to start with the beginning stories. Tell me a bit about what you did before founding Maud. Yeah, so I'm going to try to tell the short version because I think it all connects. So I, st- I studied advertising in New York in the early 2000s, like very analog time. <laughs> um, went back uh-huh. to California, became a legislative aide in healthcare, and then moved to LA and went back into marketing. Worked with a lot of brands, but then was one of the early employees at Everlane. And I think that those oh. two experiences really shaped how I got to Mod. And so I started working on Mod in 2015 after leaving Everlane in 2013. And here we are. Awesome. So what yeah. did the early days of Mod feel like? Like, where did the inspiration come from? What is Mod? Tell me about like how the early days uh, were back then. 
So it was, Maud was born out of this conversation I had with some friends of mine who are also founders in a business with me called Tinker Watches. Mm -hmm. And we started talking about sexual wellness and like, what is an industry that has just never been changed? And this is one of them. And um, at least for the modern consumer, it's changed many times, but I think for the modern consumer. And I was like, this is the idea I've been waiting for between the healthcare background and what I thought I would pursue, which was a master's in public health and consumer brands. This is what I want to work on. And everyone's like, I can't tell my grandma that I sell condoms. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm going to do this. And um, so I started working on it. And the early days were very similar to COVID for most people, which was like heads down at my house, working on this idea, not ever feeling super connected to the outside world. And then here we are many years later, and it's something that's just grown a lot. So that's amazing. So what kind of products do you offer now? We launched in 2018 and we we had condoms, lubricants, a vibe. And then later on that year, we had a massage candle. And now the business is about 75% sex essentials and 25% bath and body products, which are meant to be used with a partner or alone. So Mm. that's kind of the profile of the business now. And but we launched with these four products saying customers should be able to go to one place and find them. And that really resonated. That's amazing. I mean, what, how do you even view the landscape now? Has it changed since you got into it or is it still the same? Like, what does it look like now? So much. I mean, you know, on one hand you see coffee cat brands and that's always a little frustrating, but at the same time, I think it's kind of indicative of what is happening in the space, um, which is that People are starting to ask for sexual wellness to be considered a part of personal care and reframe that way. And they want to see products positioned in that way so that they can shop with the same sort of comfort you can when you're dealing with something like beauty. Mm -hmm. And so that's what you're seeing. And we're a brand that fits right there because we have these products that are bath and body and then also sex. And so it's it's really interesting. I think you're going to start to see the products. I mean, I know you are because I know where we're going in terms of retail, but um, you're going to start to see the products in places that maybe you wouldn't expect. Yeah. I mean, I'm thinking about even like a couple of years ago, it's like, if you're going to get something, you're like going to the back aisles of like a CVS and you're like, is anyone looking? Come on, grab it real quick, <laughs> run and check out and they'll look away while they're like paying for it. Like there yeah. is this like, you know, stigma around, yeah, any items in like the sexual wellness industry. But I like how you guys are, you know, kind of changing that, especially around your content for the company. Like you have these amazing products and you have it's nice because it's like, you don't have a ton of products. It's very, you know, you can either have this, 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 which I think is important, especially in the early days of changing this industry. But how do you approach it from a content perspective that brings in new people, you know, like I was just describing who maybe would be like, whoa, I'm not going to buy this stuff online. So it was really this choice that we made early on. We had the blog, which is called The Modern from day one. Okay. And the idea was, can you build a world around the product? Because we knew we weren't going to have many products. We didn't want to be an over-assorted brand and people were reading it and they just kept consuming it. And then we started to get feedback. And then that turned into like seeing what was working and what wasn't. And so now it's been built out into these three verticals. One's called the essentials, which is for an 18 to 25 year old audience. The modern is sort of 25 to 45 and then the golden's 45 and up. Mm-hmm. And it's grown so much. I think we get more traffic on the modern than we do on the product side of the site, to be quite honest with you. And that's probably because we produce so much content, but yeah. um, it's, been, it's been great. I think it really positions the brand in the right way and, and we're showing content that we want to see in the world. Mm-hmm. So how do you create content that resonates with people? Like, how do you approach that and get in front of new people and know what, you know, what's going to attract them to the blog to then eventually, hopefully sell some of your products? I think obviously there's a bit of a science, right? Like mm-hmm. you're looking at what, what is the search, what's happening in search and what are people looking for? 
But then there's also, I guess, the pattern of behavior around what they've um, what they've been looking at for the past three years and what really resonates there. And mm-hmm. then asking them, that's where the art comes in because you're you're really like trying to be as empathetic as possible. And as you start to really decide and see who your audience is, then you think about all the things that they need. Mm-hmm. So we try to think of it with both both sort of lenses, which I think is the only way to create content. Yeah. What are your top pieces of uh, top performing content? What articles do you got going on where you're like, these bring in the most traffic or people really love this, you know, this article? It's funny because it's like for a very long time, it was sex in the wild west, which is what Wait, I what? Heard. <laughs> In, yeah. in the wild, like Oregon Trail type of yes. type of sex. Yeah, it was like sex in the wild west. I mean, it was the shortest piece of content ever because when we first started, it was more like a Tumblr than it was a full blog. Mm-hmm. Um, and for a long time, that was one of the biggest traffic drivers. It was so funny. People are searching um, for that. Like, I wouldn't even know the keywords to type in to even think. Like, what did they do back then? Or I don't I know. <laughs> I don't, and I don't know if it's like because there's not many resources for this. We mm-hmm. were just getting, and it was it was you know sort of making it easier for it to float to the top of the search. I'm not sure, but um, that works really well. We don't dig into it too much, but sort of astrology and sex works really well. Mm -hmm. There are all of these kind of funny topics where I think people are thinking, I would say they're more like cultural moments than they are just the WebMD version of content Mm -hmm. that resonates with our customer. Oh, that's, that's pretty fun hearing about the kind of content that works. So now with like COVID and everything, what have you seen with this market? I'm guessing, you know, like we mentioned before that you have like crazy demand, people are all home trying to have fun. So what kind of new trends are you seeing pop up this past like year or two that maybe you weren't seeing before that? So I definitely think that one of the biggest trends that we've seen, which makes complete sense is when people are on the site. Mm-hmm. We used to see it more when it was a nine to five sort of world at night on the weekends. And we still see that, but there is more of a sort of consistent, you know, traffic on the site for for the whole day which is which is interesting. I think we're also just seeing there's a lot more press around it being a part of your life and sort of your holistic health mm-hmm. which I think is the right approach. That's how we should think about this and I like the fact that people are are thinking about it in a more more like health related and sort of psychologically mm-hmm. <laughs> it's psychologically tied to your happiness too. So I think that's important, but we see that a lot. And I feel like before People talked about sex in this compartmentalized way, and now they're talking much more about intimacy. Mm-hmm. And that's always the way that we've approached it anyway. So it, we were in the right place at the right time in terms of messaging. Yeah. So the other thing I was reading about with your brand was that, I mean, you not only lead in, uh, leaned into content as like a big part of even starting the company and less about paid ads maybe in the beginning, but you also focused on PR and you partnered with a celebrity, which I yeah. kind of want to hear about like how you you know, who is it? how did you get that partnership? And how did all of that accelerate growth in the beginning? So the PR was interesting because I was actually just looking at our first piece of press today for some reason. And that was in the beginning, like ever. And that was in the beginning of 2017. We actually, which was interesting. So the first thing that I did, because my background in brand building is also in design. And so I, you know, threw up this website in 2015 for mod, even though we weren't anywhere close to being ready to go to market. Uh And we started getting inquiries about press. So I knew then that it was like a topic people were going to want to talk about. Okay, cut to 2017. We actually had a real landing page Mm -hmm. and we got our first piece of press and we used like basically like our renderings of our product. But that was an important piece in getting Mod off the ground because it was like the brand awareness happened so far in advance of launching that by the time it got there, we had built in community. We had captured those emails and Mm -hmm. 
people were excited and ready. And I think that that's a really interesting approach for people to take. I don't know that I would give your brand a year. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was a bit too long, but yeah. for us, that that was about the amount of time it was. And then, um, so the celebrity partnership, which is with Dakota Johnson, came about, her team approached us and said that she was really interested in the brand. And at first I was very hesitant to take on any celebrity sort of investment Mm -hmm. because I'm not really interested in putting a name to the brand. In that Mm -hmm. like way, I, when we partnered with her, it's very much about being behind the scenes. So she's been working with us as a team behind the scenes and, and that that's been great. We'll work on products. We, we talk through like sort of what does the next year look like? Anything that we work on hasn't really come to market yet because it takes a while for any of these things to happen. But it's a lot of just behind the scenes working on really what is the creative direction of the company. Mm -hmm. Okay, cool. I want to dive a bit into product development because this is such an interesting area to me of like, how do you go about, you know, creating products, knowing what your, you know, customers want? What does that life cycle look like for a sexual wellness company? So, So I think for us, I mean, we started working on the product in 2017, which is why we knew what it was going to look like. Um, And so we had about a year. Every product that we make essentially has like a six month to a year cycle before it gets to market. And we do that for a number of reasons. We don't just take products to market quickly. We, We definitely work with our customer. We survey them and ask them questions and look at feedback. And then we also look at really what's happening in the market. Are there products that we can make in a better way? Are there things that we should be, you know, like, are there problems we should be solving with our brand? So it's kind of this collaborative process with the team to kind of look in this 360 view and say like, what's really happening and should Maud even be making it? Mm -hmm. So how do you decide like what parts should you be involved in and which things have you said no to? I think it's mostly, could it be used? Like all of our products are sort of meant to be used by yourself or with a partner. Mm -hmm. Like how can we be the most inclusive, whatever your status is, whatever your adult age is, whatever your gender. Mm -hmm. So that's one way to look at it. I think the other way to look at it is, does it make sense with the other products? Mm -hmm. Like, is it additive or is it random? So there's like a lot of hurdles to get a product to market. Mm -hmm. Condoms are class two medical devices. Our lubricants are the same thing. So when customers are like, you're inclusive, you should make all of these things. We say, there's a couple of things. One, is there a regulatory hurdle? Mm-hmm. And then two, is there a, is there a minimum order quantity that we just can't as a small brand, like get to? Mm-hmm. And then the third would be like, if we could do both of those things, is there a market for it? Mm-hmm. So that's some just real like brass tacks. Yep. Do you take a product to market? Yeah. Oh, interesting. So the other thing I'm thinking about is your e-commerce strategy with your products. And I mean, I think a lot of consumers are used to, like I said, buying things in a certain way, not really thinking too much about it. Like definitely not probably standing in the aisle and being like, hmm, which one do I want? Let me read the back of everything and, you know, see the description. How do you think about developing that e-commerce strategy in a way that people kind of like know what it is, know the benefits and do want to kind of hang out and look at it, but also understand it afterwards, especially for someone new coming in and being like, I'm not from this world. So I think it's interesting that you asked this because I would say that we could do better yeah. <laughs> in the e-com strategy, given the fact that all of our bottles are brown. Wait, all <laughs> so your bottles we, are brown. Okay. Yeah. It's like we have two, we have two lubricants. They both kind of look the same. So mm-hmm. we've had the same challenges. Our thought was that we create these like these products that look great in your bathroom or on your bedside table that you wouldn't be embarrassed to have out. But I think in some ways it's also like, okay, but do you know what they are? So yeah. what we found in terms of e-com is to be really clear about 
how you're shopping for them. So our site is like merchandised in a way that's pretty clear mm-hmm. and that you can find things in a couple ways. One is by usage. So if it's like before, during and after sex or just by like the actual type of product. Mm-hmm. And that seems to have been helpful. But I still think we have work to do on that front because I do think you're right. People come to this site and they they might be uncomfortable or they or they might not know what goes together. Mm-hmm. So we're actively trying to make sure they don't just see a sea of brown bottles. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. Like trying to put two in like things together to be like, this could be a package. And like, yeah. so do you have something that shows up on the side of your website that kind of is like, here's something that pairs with it. And like, what kind of maybe tests have you done where you're like, this one converts well, they add more things to the cart versus when we had it this way, it didn't work out. Any little findings there? Yeah. I mean, there are some products that people just like adding to their cart. So one of them is the massage candle. Mm -hmm. Like universally speaking, I don't know that everyone knows what a massage candle is per se, but a candle is like very easy to understand. So that works as an upsell. Mm -hmm. If you're getting like the vibe, for instance, and you, you get suggested the lubricant to use, I think that makes sense to people. So Or if it's like a bath product, there are other bath products that go well with it. Like the wash, um, Mm -hmm. which is our body wash, goes really well with the massage oil. You know, there's there's ways for us to like basically guide you through the journey. But I still think it's probably one of our biggest, biggest like challenges is to make sure that people know Mm -hmm. what else we have. Yep. Do you study other brands to kind of see, you know, how they're doing things? Or are you like, we're such a different unicorn that there's really no one else that we can look at when it comes to, you know, recommendations and trying to figure out who needs what at what point, like, yeah. How do you figure out like good practices that you kind of want to try and implement? Well, so it's a bit of a conundrum in a couple of ways. I think the first way is that like, if you look at a, if you look at a, let's call it a skincare site, Mm -hmm. usually those things are, maybe it's shopping by system. Like let's say that they just have one cream or one face wash. That's easy to understand. If it's by like say problem, it's distinctively called out. So it's for oily skin or dry skin. We don't, we don't have, like, that's not how you shop the site. So in one way, some of the products are a system, but they're not based on like a problem. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, it's just, it's still something for us that we have to, I think, solve for. And one of the things that we're really, I wouldn't call us precious about it, but I do think that we're really, we try to be very kind and empathetic about is like, making the customer feel comfortable. So we don't want to scream anything on the site. Mm -hmm. I think there are times though that we're too toned down. Yeah. What about quizzes and things like that? Like if, you know, someone comes and they're not really informed on what you guys are selling, have you tried out any quizzes that kind of guides people to what they might want? And in a way where they're like, I didn't get there myself. You told me to get there. (laughs) So it's funny because originally the site was just a quiz. Oh, So when we first, yeah, when we first launched, it was like, it walked you through and you ended up with sort of seven different kits, basically. Mm-hmm. The issue, there was a couple things, learnings, all things that anyone listening should know. We named the kits one through seven. That's not really helpful. You don't know, like, you're like, I can't remember what number mm-hmm. I am. I think also we didn't have enough options. Like the only real difference between the kits was how many products were in them. And then if it was shine organic or shine silicone lubricant. Mm-hmm. So we're still figuring out the best way to bundle What's interesting, and I think it will happen and improve over time, is that people are starting to see it more as like, like I said, something between sexual wellness and beauty. And so they browse the site. There's like actually a pretty high conversion on the site. They're browsing the site because I don't think they feel uncomfortable, Mm -hmm. which was the point. Well, the one thing that we've talked about in previous episodes is around like UGC. And, you know, that's the best way to get people to buy things if it looks organic and my friends would use it. 
I feel like that'd be really hard for your brand to get people to, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you might get flagged on Instagram. Oh, yeah, well, we do get flagged on Instagram. <laughs> for us, it's just been, that's where the bath and body products come into play. And mm-hmm. we've started to introduce more UGC because we've been seeding out bath and body products for people to try, but it's a really interesting line to toe between messaging around like, here's this really soothing body care and how does it relate to intimacy? Mm-hmm. But we can't be explicit on Instagram and Facebook. So yeah. navigating this category has been really interesting. There's a stereotype of the average American worker whose life goes something like this. Go to work, come home, consume some kind of entertainment, go to sleep, lather, rinse, repeat. If you're listening to this ad, then I know that that life does not resonate with you. For the truly disruptive business leader, work doesn't stay at the office, and unwinding doesn't mean watching TV at night every single night. This is why we've created Mission Daily, a podcast that discusses the trends, habits, and ideas that thoughtful business people are contemplating every day. From quirky business opportunities to interesting investment ideas to the latest research in health and exercise and alternative medicine, and maybe even plant medicine. Who knows where we're going to go, but Mission Daily covers it all. We're releasing new episodes every weekday. So join me, Stephanie Postles, and my co-host, Albert Chow, as we discuss the subjects, thoughts, and trends that business leaders think about, but don't talk about. Publicly, that is. Break the status quo. Tune into Mission Daily wherever you listen to your podcasts. See you there. Did you consciously develop something that you could use on Instagram to then try and like get that traffic back? Is like, were you thinking about that before you even, you know, develop the body wash type products? Yeah. So it's interesting because the condos and the lubricant technically can be sold. The ads can be um, posted on on Facebook and Instagram, but the language starts to get tricky. Mm-hmm. There are pe- real people looking at your Facebook ads, making the decision if they should be mm-hmm. um, if they should be shut down, which always gets into really funny territory. So we, when we launched the bur- like the burn massage candle, we were able to start really ramping up ads. But it's really amazing what's allowed on Instagram and what's yeah. not allowed. Yes, yeah. I mean i I could go down an entire wormhole of certain people who've been banned and other people where it's like that is definitely a very bad site and there's a lot of bad things happening there. How are they still on here? And yeah, so it's an interesting world. So what kind of ads are you creating? Because, you know, I I think a lot of times about like humor can always be fun around certain topics and kind of get people in. Like, do you guys approach it that way? Or are you strictly like content, educational? Like, how do you think about your ads? They're just like really beautiful, sort of straightforward ads. I would say that, again, they always lean more towards beauty. The funny part is that we not to use the word funny because I'm about to say, Maud has a sense of humor. Mm-hmm. It's just typically like in the captions or in the writing or mm-hmm. sort of like in the quippy parts of the content. So that could be brought out more. Mm-hmm. The ads are generally just like how to use the product and they're they're beautiful. Yep. Okay. That's cool. So we were talking a bit before the show about retail and how you were thinking about it. Tell me a bit about you know what your plans look like when it comes to entering into retail. So we are actually, our business is about 20% retail. Okay. Um, and we're oh, you're already there. It. Yeah, we're already there okay. and it's growing. We're launching in a bunch of new retailers this year. The retail angle has been interesting. So we first started out, I can't remember who our first retailer was, but but back in like 2018, we were definitely in a lot of smaller boutiques. We were in um, hotels, which makes sense, mm-hmm. and started going into bigger retailers. And what was happening and what we still see happen is that the merchandise teams would have to, the merchandising teams would be fighting over where we should be in store. Yeah. 
And now it seems like the beauty teams are winning. Uh So we're seeing mod, it's going to get positioned in like a lot of the beauty categories and in retail, in these doors, not just online. And I'm very curious to see what it looks like there. Yeah. How do you think about connecting kind of the story and the brand and approaching that like omni-channel experience? What kind of things are you trying out and learning through all of that? So the kinds of things that we're working on is like really sticking to the script for the brand because we see sort of a lot of crossover mm-hmm. audience that comes to us via Instagram and then finds us out in the world in retail. Mm-hmm. Whereas I've, I've definitely worked in brands that like try to cater to each retail audience and yeah. they've test a lot. We, we try to just really be very distinctively on brand all the time so that people remember us. Mm-hmm. And I think when you're really a new brand or you're a younger brand, it's important for you to be memorable and top of mind. Yeah. How, how do you stay memorable? Like, what do you do, especially now that you say there's people popping up, like competitors, little copycats? How do you kind of differentiate yourself to make sure that you're not blending in with, you know, someone else who enters into a Urban Outfitters? I think it's more about like, what what's the product assortment? And then sort of what is the... Um, What's like our creative strategy, which is which hasn't been copied quite yet. Mm-hmm. The other thing is I've always I, I've said this on other podcasts, and I you know I don't want to completely sound like a broken record, but I think there are really two types of companies. Mm-hmm. One is product, and one is sort of mission based companies. Very apropos to yep. what you do. Yep. Perfect. <laughs> um, and I think that our company is a mission based company, which means you can't just you can't expedite the process of growing community and brand equity. And I mm-hmm. think that that's what makes Mod really ahead of other brands that are trying to do it. It's like, they'll have to build their own communities and their own look and feel and customers will either get it or resonate with it or not. Yeah. I mean, do you find that you have the ability to stay connected with your customer afterwards? Like, how do you keep the conversation going to then increase, you know, the lifetime value of that person and bring them back and kind of like stay within your community? What kind of things are you doing behind the scenes to ensure that happens? So we, our like biggest KPI internally has always been NPS and customer reviews and satisfaction. And we have really, really high NPS and we focus on like making sure that they are engaging with our emails and like whether or not they're coming back to buy from us is more a matter of, do they need it? What do their sex lives look like? Can Mm -hmm. we even control that? That's not, that's, we can't do any of that work for them, but we can be there. And so um, it's staying top of mind through the content and Mm -hmm. then making sure that they're happy. And so we check in in on them often and, and then try to listen when they're not happy. Yeah. How do you encourage reviews for your product? Because I could see, you know, kind of like what we were saying earlier, people being hesitant to review something where their name's on there and, you know, someone identifies them. Like, how do you get people to come in and drop some valuable insights into your review system? So they'll get a notification to, to review the products, Mm -hmm. you know, so many days after purchase, which people are pretty open to doing. And Actually, that's all we do. We don't like encourage, we don't give discounts for reviews. We're really purists in a lot of ways, like Mm -hmm. in terms of how we gather data and what we ask of our customer only because we're really respectful of like this category and what it means for them to be disclosing this kind of information. And so we want to be as thoughtful as possible. And Mm -hmm. so the reviews that we get are amazing. Yeah. (laughs) And they're amazing in a number of ways. They're like heartwarming and funny and maybe too raunchy. You're like, okay, thank you. I didn't need to know any of this, but, but I think getting people to feel like they can safely write that is like what we're trying to do. Mm -hmm. So we're a pretty, we're pretty respectful brand. I mean, there are other ones that I think are like a lot of reviews where, um, people will say like, I lost my spouse and I didn't, you know, I just didn't know if like, I 
could navigate this alone. And mm-hmm. this has made me feel like I'm a person again or lovable. And these things like you will just be like crying in the office. Yeah. So there's, it kind of runs the, runs the range. There's, there's yeah. lots of reviews and. Yeah. But I mean, I feel like that, that authenticity is key though, when people are especially like exploring a market that they've maybe never looked into before reading reviews like that is I think what sells the product by itself, because there's probably many, you know, other people who've come and been like, that's me. I'm in that position right now. Like I feel sad like that. And trying to get customers to speak like that, I think is game changing if you can get them to do that, which is why I'm so impressed that you get reviews like that. Because to me, I'm like, I can see a lot of people holding back and not wanting their name on something and, you know, just being nervous about that whole thing. So that I, I, I know I'm like, I wouldn't write a review, like no. this, but you should read the reviews after you guys need to read the reviews. Cause they're very funny. I do have one other funny review that I'll bring up. Um, so somebody used the burn massage candle, which has this great scent. It's like really an, an amazing scent. It took us a while to develop, but she was like, it made me feel like I was going at it in the Redwood forest <laughs> instead of my dinky no-ho apartment. And I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> man, these people are good copywriters. Like, can yeah. I hire them? Wow. Oh, and one one woman wrote about the vibe. She was like, powerhouse, a workhorse, an icon. That got turned that, into, yeah, that got turned into an email. Oh, I was going to say, that could be the tagline of the I product. Know. Like, <laughs> your customers should be the ones, you know, putting in their ideas and then you just take their names and their taglines. Man, that's good. That was good. So where do you see Maud heading over the next maybe like one to three years? What are you guys excited for, planning for? We're planning to go into one or two other categories. I think we're really like deepening the product categories we have and then, you know, venturing into a couple others all around intimacy. Like if it can be in the before, during or after category, like we'll make it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm really excited about that because I envision this, this like mod, we have one in the office, so I guess it's easy for me to do, but I envision a mod shelf and mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, what does that complete experience look like? And I'm so excited to build that. And then to see it come to life on these end caps and in these retailers is just, it's incredible. Like, mm-hmm. and then to know to go back to the reviews for a second, like how much these products have impacted people's life. I think that that's like where I'm really excited to, to help con- you know continue to solve for their needs and also create products they really like and that have made their lives better in a small or sometimes big way. So when thinking about retail, I know I keep getting back to this, but I'm just so yeah impressed that you guys are going this route and like having success in it. What kind of lessons did you learn when kind of exploring this you know, the retail path. What would you do differently maybe if you were to do it over again? I would say that the biggest thing I would do differently is probably probably not have launched in a category or in a corner of a store that wasn't really where we should be placed. Mm-hmm. So an example of this is like within Urban Outfitters, which again, like Urban Outfitters as a brand has been really a good partner to us. It's not our age demographic, but I think in terms of they've always sort of been good about building out beauty. Mm-hmm. At first, they wanted to put the vibe in tech and the other products in beauty. Yeah. And I'm like, the problem with this is that it creates this sense of novelty. And we actually have something launching this week around why we don't call devices toys. Mm -hmm. And it kind of relates back to like why this should not be a novelty in the electronics section of your store. Yeah. I mean, that would be weird if it's like next to like some keychain, like cell phone cover. (laughs) And then it's like, and there's a vibrator. And there's a vibrator. And yeah. honestly, I don't know that anybody even bats an eyelash at that sort of positioning because they have been called toys and they've been made to be these novelty items for so long. But like mm-hmm. our whole ethos is that 
were a brand for all genders, but in particular women, like the vibrator has been treated like it's this thing that's an add-on. And for many of them, it's not an add-on. Mm-hmm. So why can't it just be in with the rest of the product? Yeah. Yep. So did you have pushback when you told them, like, we want to have our products together? And do Are you even able to tell them where you want your product to be? So we're not, we can ask and sort of guide them. I think over time they were like, these products should be here. Mm-hmm. So they, and then they built out sexual wellness as a part of their beauty, both online and in store. And mm-hmm. so then it was like an easy solve. Okay, cool. That's, that's a good tip. Any other lessons or experiences from getting into retail that were insightful? Yeah. I mean, we've had conversations with retailers where we go down this like long journey of they need certain testing or they need certain things. And we have all of these quality controls and we have all of this testing on our own, but some retailers are so specific. And then then you get to the PO and they're like, and we want 10 units. And you're like, we've just gone through seven weeks of your editor testing. And you're like 10 weeks of this and that, and you want 10 products. So I think that's an interesting lesson is like, who's really the volume driver and then who's really, it's, you know, sort sort of about brand positioning and what are the risks you should be taking for each. Yeah. So now do you go into it with like a minimum quantity from the start of like, we're not going to mess around with 10 units if you're going to make us spend six weeks doing this or like, how do you, and could someone new do that? Like, can you only do that now because you're, you know, you've been doing this for a while. Could, Could a newer brand come in with kind of those expectations of like, tell me how many units you guys plan on ordering before I do the work? Or is like, you kind of just have to go through that phase in the early days. I don't know that they would have told us. I do think that there are trade-offs around. So for instance, what we've learned now with retailers is a lot of them online, like will outbid you for your Google search terms. So, okay. If you've made all of this effort, they've only bought 10 items and guess what? They're putting a lot of search Mm. dollars behind it. Is it worth it? I'm not sure. Is it worth it to say I'm in the XYZ.com, whatever. I don't think it always is. It's just a trade-off around like, how are you acquiring a, cust- acquiring a customer? Where are they finding you? And and does it really matter if you're yeah. in? I won't name names, but. I mean, that seems like a very important point that I actually have not heard anyone bring up yet about the retailers outbidding you on your own keywords. It seems like there should be something in the contract that says, you know, these are my set of keywords I go after. You can't touch them if we're a partner. So we're only learning that we can even push that now. Mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of things as a smaller company where you're just like, okay, sure. Like, I'm so excited to be in blah, blah, blah. And then, yeah, yeah lessons learned. Oh man, that's a good lesson. I'm glad I'm pushing this and asking these. I feel like <laughs> a lot of people could actually learn from, you know, this stuff and go into it with different expectations. Then, you know, it is easy probably to be like, I've got Urban Outfitters, I've got whoever. And then to be like, oh, maybe I would have, should have asked for more upfront. Like ask for what you actually think is, fair and not. Yeah. And I think you're also like, we didn't put a stockist on our page because we didn't, one, we couldn't keep up with where we were, especially Mm -hmm. when we were like in these independent retailers. And if you think about a stockist, it's really for the benefit of the the customer, right? So at the same time, it's like, well, then why are we in some of these places? Yeah. (laughs) Because we know they only ordered 10 products. Mm -hmm. So this is all up to you as a brand, but like, think about these things and really what is the value? Yeah. Okay. That's, that's great. Good tips. I love it. All right. Well, let's shift over to the lightning round. The lightning round is brought to you by Salesforce Commerce Cloud. This is where I'm going to ask you a question and you have one minute or less to answer. Are you ready? I'm ready. What one thing will have the biggest impact on e-commerce in the next year? I think probably to your point, it's like 
content. It's Mm. building out a site that is less transactional and it's more about building a memorable brand because I don't know about you, but I track brands and I'm like, there are so many brands coming out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if I can't see a deeper story or if I can't connect with something that I'm going to remember, it's it's just really hard for me to to think about them. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what do you think the world's going to look like in a couple of years? Because like you said, it does feel like there's so many new D2C companies popping up and it actually kind of seems like it's hard to trust who's saying what and if that's their mission and if they're doing what they're saying they're going to do because now... You know, anyone can launch really quickly and then also go away really quickly if they need to. Like, where do you think the world's headed because of all that? I think it's like in examining all of their channels, like finding where they really are speaking to their community. So when I mean content, you don't have to go to the site and find a blog per se, but if you can find a community, whether that's on Instagram or TikTok or some channel where you can sort of see evidence of them having a connection with their customer, I think that's really important. Mm-hmm. Because I have been to a lot of sites where then I go check out their social channels and they've been around for long enough and there's just like no, no engagement. And it's really yeah. interesting. Yeah, that's, that's yeah, really great. If you were to have a podcast, what would it be about and who would your first guest be? Oh, this is a good one. So I actually just started a podcast. Nice. What's uh, it yeah. about and who was your first guest? Well, so we haven't booked the first guest okay. yet. So, um, but I will tell you who I want the first guest to be. The, the podcast is called The Una. And okay. it's about the first and the few females in a particular industry. So it could be any industry, whether that's like politics or finance or the spirits industry. We want our first guest, although I think it's going to be much harder to land now, um, to be Deb Holland. Okay. If, if you didn't know, she's now the first you know, Native American um, Secretary of the Interior. And she is from New Mexico, which is my home state. But I think because she's now the Secretary of the Interior that it's going to be a little harder to land her. So Come on, Deb, like, get on the I show. Know. Um, I know. That's awesome. Yeah, it sounds like a really, a very cool show. I would definitely, I'll definitely be listening. When's it going to launch? Well, so we're starting to do the outreach because we did the trailer finally. So if you go to the unapodcast.com, you can see the, or listen to the trailer. Very cool. What's up next on your reading list? I just watched the Dieter Rams documentary and I've been reading the book, which is the 10 principles of good design mm-hmm. only because I think it's the way to bring me back to like why we have mod, why we do what we do at mod. And so by the time this actually airs, the team will know, but I'm taking them to a screening of the Rams documentary and we'll then talk through the book. Oh. But that's what was up, you know, I'm getting through the book. Yeah. Very cool. What's one thing that you don't understand today that you wish you did? I mean, I don't know if I wish I did, but I really don't understand the allure of like Clubhouse. Uh-huh. I'm like, I don't understand. I don't get it. We've had a lot. We've had a couple of people say that. So you're not alone. Don't worry. Yeah, I don't. I think that it's, it's a pandemic phase, but yeah. I could be wrong. Oh, well, definitely. We'll have to do a re like a check back in six months <laughs> yes. or a year and be like, was Eva right? Or <laughs> although I have heard people like they listen to these for instance, our director of product listens to people talking about sci-fi. I think that's a great use of it, of Clubhouse. Otherwise, when it's just talking heads about the same things, I don't know. All right. And then the last one, what's the nicest thing anyone's ever done for you? Oh, well, I mean, this is going to sound cliche, but my husband is actually a mechanical engineer and he's the one that's designed, uh, he designed the vibe. He designed our second product. Wow. Drop, and he, yeah. And he doesn't, work for mod full time. And he, he really builds the business with me when needed as if he were a part of it. So I think that's the nicest thing that anyone has done for me. That's pretty amazing and awesome. Go him for stepping in and helping like that. Was he, was he, uh, 
unsure if you wanted to design sexual wellness products at first? <laughs> like, did you have to kind of be like, come on? <laughs> no, like his, his take on design and sort of the usefulness of design, which I would actually joke goes back to sort of this Rams documentary is, is like, these products are really everyday items and mm-hmm. they should be made to be used that way. And so I think he liked the fact that Maude was, was turning it into an everyday object instead of making it phallic and loud and all of these other things. So mm-hmm. I think he was just like, great, let's make this product better. Oh, that's awesome. That's amazing. Well, Eva, this has been so fun having you on the show. Such a different interview, which I've loved and it's been <laughs> fun hearing about Mod and the industry and all that. Where can people find out more about you and Mod? Well, with me, it's if they follow me on Instagram, it's evagoicochea.com, which is really long, but um, I'm, I'm sure if you type in E-V-A-G-O-I, you probably will find me. So, And then Mod is getmod.com, M-A-U-D-E, because we could not just get mod.com. Amazing. All right, everyone go check it out. Thanks so much for joining us. It was a pleasure to have you. Thank you so much for having me. Hey listeners, thanks for tuning into this episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. If you haven't already, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. It helps spread the word and I would greatly appreciate it. See you next time. Up Next in Commerce is brought to you by Salesforce Commerce Cloud and created by the team at mission.org. Subscribe now at Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts.